Howdy, folks. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. It may not be the first, but it is certainly the biggest and most attended state fair in the United States. Every year, nearly three million people flock to Fair Park just east of downtown Dallas to celebrate all things great about the Lone Star State, such as pickup trucks, racing pigs, college football, and of course, fried food. This week, we take a virtual tour through the past and present of the State Fair of Texas. But first, what's your favorite San Antonio landmark that's not the Alamo? Well, as we discussed on our Texas beer episode, one of my favorite places to visit in San Antonio was the Lone Star Brewery when I was a child. And one of the highlights there was the two big water tanks that were painted like Lone Star beer cans. So I have no idea if that's still there, um, but it was my favorite landmark. And then second to that is the Hall of Horns. Well, I think uh, I'm going to say, uh, you know, a yet another exposition uh hemisphere arena and uh all of all that wonderful excitement that happened there in the 60s in san antonio swinging 60s san antonio man <laughs> well uh, my favorite place is a little bit off the beaten path but it is a local institution and a local landmark el mercado the market and right across the street is mi tierra restaurant you have not gone to san antonio if you haven't eaten breakfast at mi tierra migas huevos rancheros all good stuff. Anything else you'd like to read off the menu, Sean? No. <laughs> I love me some huevos rancheros. Mm. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Hey, when we're done with this, let's go get breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> the story of the State Fair of Texas begins way back in 1886. A group of prominent Dallas businessmen chartered a private corporation to put on a fair and exposition. Almost immediately, they were split on where to hold the fair. So, they had two. The Dallas State Fair was held on October 26 on an 80-acre tract of land just east of what is now downtown Dallas, while the Texas State Fair and Exposition opened one day earlier just north of Dallas. Both facilities featured exhibits and horse racetracks and drew sizable crowds. After both fairs closed, over 100,000 people had attended, but both failed to meet their expenses. The two corporations merged to become the Texas State Fair and Dallas Exposition. Over the next few years, thousands came to view the finest racing stock, cattle sales, balloon essence, and displays of farm machinery. I have to say, I love me a good balloon ascent. <laughs> and the, the essence easy. It's the descent that's the tricky part. <laughs> right, right. Despite the outward success of the fair, the first few years were pretty disastrous. There were numerous fires and accidents, including a grandstand collapse in 1900 and the main exhibit building burning down in 1902. In 1903, the Texas legislature banned gambling on horse races, which threatened the primary source of income for the fair. To preserve the fair itself, the association made a deal with the city of Dallas to sell the park property, which by that point was over 100 acres. This became Fair Park, which is Dallas's second public park. Part of the deal was the perpetual agreement that 24 days in the fall would be set aside for the exclusive use of the state fair. The new arrangement was immediately and immensely successful. The 1905 fair saw more than double its previous attendance and had greatly increased receipts. In 1906, 
city voters approved a plan to radically redesign the park grounds from a flat, uninteresting fairground into a beautiful and functional city park. The Texas State Fair soon became one of the most successful in the country, with presidents, public figures, and celebrities all attending over the years. In 1916, attendance passed the one million mark. The fair was suspended in 1918, but after World War I, it continued to see expansion and development. A huge auditorium, the Music Hall, was opened in 1925, and in 1930, the racetrack that had previously hosted football games was raised and replaced with a 50,000-seat stadium, which eventually became known as the Cotton Bowl. The single biggest transformation of Fair Park occurred in 1934 when it was selected as the central exposition site for the upcoming 1936 Texas Centennial. The 1935 fair was canceled so that construction on a massive $25 million project could be completed. Practically every building and feature in the park was completely rebuilt and redesigned around the Art Deco vision of local architect George L. Dahl. The site was expanded to nearly 200 acres and 50 buildings were added. The most prominent feature was the magnificent esplanade leading from the main gate to the Hall of State. This plaza is flanked by vast exhibit halls and a huge reflecting pool. Along with many other buildings at Fair Park, the plaza retains the defining vision of Dahl. He called his style Texanic, and he defined it as strong and bold, a quality possessed to an unusual degree by the majority of the residents of Texas. I like that. Texanic. Texanic. It's Texanic. That's how I'm going to describe myself. <laughs> the Centennial Exposition itself was not just a state fair. It was a world's fair where Texas history and culture would be on display to visitors from all over the globe. Over six million people attended an expanded six-month run. The exposition was credited with buffering Dallas from some of the worst effects of the Great Depression, giving a $50 million boost to the local economy. And in 1936 money, $50 million is a lot. I... It's a lot today. $50 million dollars is a lot, <laughs> yeah. period. Yeah. That's pretty good today, too. Yeah. Dignitaries and celebrities from all over the world attended, including President Franklin D. Roosevelt on June 12, 1936. The years after the centennial were less successful, and during World War II, the fair was even canceled. After the war, under the direction of Dallas civic leader R.L. Thornton, who spearheaded the centennial exposition effort, the fair went through another period of revival and growth. By 1949, attendance was back up to over 2 million a year. The 1950s saw the expansion of the livestock show, a new Coliseum Arena, and the building of the first commercially operated monorail system in the 1950s. The 1960s saw the height of the fair's popularity, with a single-day attendance record of 345,469 being set in 1966. Take that, Shelbyville. <laughs> we got a monorail. Monorail. Did you say monorail? I, I said, said monorail. monorail. <laughs> uh, we couldn't let a monorail joke go by. No, no way. The 70s and early 80s were hard times for the fair. Attendance was down, and there were a few fatal accidents during this period. There were renovations to the Cotton Bowl and the Music Hall, but over time, many of the facilities were allowed to deteriorate. In the late 1980s, Fair Park began to see positive changes, though. In 1985, they built the Texas Star, a 212-foot-tall Ferris wheel, and it quickly became the fair's most popular ride. For the centenary of the fair in 1986, Fair Park was designated a National Historic Landmark. A new music amphitheater was built in 1988, adjacent to, but not connected, to Fair Park. Initially, they called it 
the Coca-Cola Starplex, but since then has had several renamings. It was the Smirnoff Music Center, the Superpages.com Center, and now it's the Gexa Energy Pavilion. But if you're in Dallas, pretty much everyone just says Starplex. <laughs> 1989 saw the demolition of the Comet Roller Coaster, a wooden coaster built in 1947. That was also the year that Fair Park hosted the magnificent Ramses II touring exhibit. Right, and I was there the year that they tore down the the year before they tore down the roller coaster, and I actually went to the Ramses exhibit as well. So, that roller coaster was scary looking when we went there. <laughs> I bet. Very scary. This is the pinnacle of 1947 technology, yeah. Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was ugly. Um, so the 1990s and early 2000s saw further modernization and improvements to the fairgrounds, but the last decade has seen incredible change and growth for both Fair Park and State Fair. The Texas Skyway gondola ride replaced the outdated gondolas that themselves had replaced the monorail in the mid-1960s. The park received a $72 million renovation from the city, which updated most of the buildings and their Art Deco style. It restored a lot of the facades and statues. Security has been greatly enhanced since 2001, and efforts to alleviate parking difficulties have been introduced, including shuttle buses at one point from the suburbs. But the biggest transformation occurred in 2009 when Dallas's light rail public transportation system created two stops at either end of Fair Park. The financial high point for the fair was in 2010 when receipts totaled more than $37 million. So you mean the monorail didn't last? No, it did not last. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. Too bad. Let's just, let's just take a moment of silence for the Dallas monorail. No idea if it was infested with raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, no discussion of the State Fair of Texas would be complete without talking about its literal face, the giant animatronic cowboy named Big Tex. In 1952, a 52-foot cowboy dressed in denim jeans and plaid shirt was erected just outside the Cotton Bowl. He'd formerly been used by the small town of Cairns, Texas, as, quote, the world's largest Santa but they sold it to R.L. Thornton in 1951 for $750. Artist Jack Bridges was commissioned to transform that Santa into a cowboy. In 1953, Big Tex was upgraded with a motorized head, a hinged jaw, and a 75-watt speaker so that he could talk to the crowds. For decades, Big Tex would welcome fairgoers with his famous drawl, Howdy, folks! and make regular announcements. Additional animatronics were added over the years, which increased his mobility. In 2002, he even received his AARP card for his 50th birthday. On the morning of October 19, 2012, in his 60th year, an electrical fire started inside the statue's framework. Within minutes, Big Tex's clothing, face, and hat were destroyed, all in front of horrified fairgoers, every one of whom promptly recorded and posted video to YouTube. And we actually, my wife and Mason, my son Mason and I were there the day before. It was Mason's first trip to the fair. So we did get pictures with Big Tex the day before. The original Big Tex. Yeah, the original Big Tex mm -hmm. before he went up in flames. Well, Texas was devastated because Big Tex is an icon. But much like the phoenix that rises from the ashes, Big Tex made his return by the 2013 fair. Now he's been rebuilt. Much like fellow Texan and bionic man Lee Majors, he's bigger, stronger, and better than ever. 
text weighs considerably more than he did before, which would allow him to withstand up to 100 mile an hour winds. Most of the controls are now fiber optic, which decreases the risk of electrical fires, and he's three feet taller than he was before the accident. So, Eddie has a different nose. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Dallas is pretty famous for having quality plastic surgeons. That's true. Well, the State Fair is certainly no stranger to controversy. Throughout its history, there have been periods where the finances of the fair haven't been the best that they could be. In the past several years, there have been several costly expenses, and some questionable practices have been called attention to. The most prominent was the disastrous Summer Adventures in Fair Park experiment that attempted to turn the fair into a summer amusement park in 2013, and it ended up costing the State Fair $30 million. In the 110 years since financial trouble forced the fair to sell Fair Park to the city, there have also been periods of conflict between the State Fair and the city of Dallas. The most recent was in 2015 over the fair's response to a study examining ways to revitalize the ground. Yeah, I, you know, I live here, but I only go to the fair about every third year. I don't even remember the summer adventures in Fair Park, so... It couldn't have been very no, successful. No, it was not. It's because you went to Six Flags. You were <laughs> right. at Six Flags when they were talking <laughs> it was not about not successful at all. <laughs> Arguably the worst controversy in the history of the fair would be its policy of segregation, though this was hardly unique to the State Fair of Texas. Um, African Americans were first allowed access to the fair in 1889 when a single designated day called, quote, Colored People's Day was set up for them to attend. This day continued until 1910, when it was officially discontinued. The fair also hosted a Ku Klux Klan Day in 1923. Flyers for that day even included a handy application for membership. 150,000 people attended, and thousands of Klansmen were sworn in. Blacks were allowed to purchase admission to the park beginning in 1925 in order to attend a football game between two nearby historically black colleges and universities, but they weren't allowed on any rides or to buy food from any of the restaurants. You can pay to get in, but you can't do anything. Yeah. I, uh, what were the college? Do you remember uh, what the, the original colleges were? colleges were Wiley College and Lang- Langdon College. Wiley's in uh, okay. Marshall and Langdon's in uh, Oklahoma. During the Centennial Exposition of 1936, a day for blacks was set aside as Negro Achievement Day. This day was intended to celebrate the accomplishments and progress of the Negro race in Texas and the United States, and was considered very progressive for the time. It became an annual event after 1946, but by then the rising awareness of the disparity in the treatment of black Americans caused more people to see the day as pretty much contributing to segregation rather than combating right. it go figure which it's n- yeah yeah it's not horrible yeah. at all it's changing yeah. times and changing attitudes but yeah today we would see it still as quite yeah. racist it was pretty it was pretty easy to see it as fairly racist yeah. back then I'm uh, sure. the dallas negro chamber of commerce spent several years trying to end the segregation of the fair and finally in 1953 the fair's governing board agreed to a compromise the fair would be open to blacks every day, but officially two rides and several of the restaurants would stay segregated because they would, quote, involve physical contact with whites, which might lead to violence. However, from a practical perspective, discrimination was still practiced at the fair. As a matter of fact, in my research, I saw that that year the president of the, Dal- of the Dallas Negro Chamber of Commerce was denied entry to a ride that was not supposed to be segregated. 
And so he hmm. resigned his seat because the Chamber of Commerce wasn't going to fight anymore. Yeah. Wow. Many people, of course, felt that more needed to be done, obviously. One such person was a young woman named Juanita Kraft, the leader of the NAACP Youth Council. In 1955, she organized a major boycott of Negro Achievement Day that attracted national attention. Continued agitation and counter-programming through the 1950s and early 60s finally resulted in the fair becoming officially and completely desegregated in 1967. One of the only positive things that came out of this very sad era was a football game, which makes sense in Texas. <laughs> right. This eventually evolved into the State Fair Classic. In 1929, Prairie View A&M in East Texas began playing Wiley, and since then has been in the game every year, except for 1990 and 1991, when their football program was discontinued. Since 1985, their opponent has been Grambling State University from Louisiana. This game has become an annual tradition for both schools and has an estimated economic impact of $8.5 million for the city. But Prairie View and Grambling aren't the only teams to play out a yearly rivalry at the Cotton Bowl during the fair. Since 1932, the University of Texas has played the University of Oklahoma in the Red River Shootout, a titanic struggle to show which state is the better football state. Now, UT currently leads the series 60-44, to so that means Texas is still better than Oklahoma. Texas OU, yeah, <laughs> Texas OU Weekend has since become the biggest single day at the State Fair, with over 90,000 football fans packing the stadium on top of any fairgoers willing to brave the crowds for that day. The event brings in an estimated $17 million to the city, which is set to increase the capacity of the stadium in 2016 because so, the city wants to make sure that the, that game doesn't go anywhere else. Yeah, obviously. Now, now for... For any international listeners, we're talking about yes. American Pads, football, of course. Oblong ball. Not that soccer thing. Yeah. And if for any American listeners, uh, just remember that the state of Texas is clearly the yes. best at football. Hashtag yes. obvious. <laughs> for most of the fair's history, there have been notable guests and performers, unusual events, famous firsts, and a healthy dose of genuine oddities. 1900s Fair saw Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show and featured Annie Oakley. 1984 saw Fair Park turned into a Formula One Grand Prix track and was literally the hottest race in F1 history. Racing legends Nicky Lauda, Atron Senna, and Alan Prost, among others, suffered through 104-degree heat, but they delighted the crowds anyway. A number of U.S. presidents have attended, including FDR, LBJ, Woodrow Wilson, and William Howard Taft, as have many foreign heads of state, such as King Olaf V of Norway. He was played by uh, John Goodman in a film, right? <laughs> Olaf V? <laughs> no. no. I don't think so. King that's Ralph. not King Oh, that's King Ralph. That's yeah. what they King Ralph. Close. Oh. Pretty much every country music star, from Willie Nelson to George Strait, have performed on the main stage along with numerous rock stars such as Elvis and the Beach Boys, who will be playing again this year. Broadway musicals have been featured at the Music Hall since 1947's performance of Annie Get Your Gun, and they've ranged from the classics such as Showboat and Fan of the Opera to modern hits uh, like Wicked and The Lion King. In 1962, an updated version of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, State Fair, was set and filmed at Fair Park during the State Fair, and this starred Pat Boone, Bobby Darren, mm -hmm. and Anne-Margaret. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
Uh, we loved her in Tommy. Yeah, this was actually the year before. Thing. Yeah. This was actually the year before Bye Bye Birdie. Actually, <laughs> so thing. she was. This was one of her very early. Oh wow! Films. Yeah, it's true. The Texas State Fair has also had a bewildering array of truly odd exhibits and events. Early fairs featured crazy inventions, animal oddities such as the oldest living Confederate war horse in 1900, and social experiments such as an entire village of Filipino, quote, primitives, who were on display uh, in 1904. Uh, 1887 saw a replica of the Washington Monument made out of human teeth. I wonder who thought of that idea. Mm. 1909 saw a life-size recreation of the Alamo. 1929 saw a battleship made out of tropical fruit. Of course. Yep. 1947 saw two goats who had survived the hydrogen bomb test on Bikini Atoll. Their names were... And therefore Yeah, heads. their names were Lucifer and <laughs> Satan. Did they, have, <laughs> did they name their tumors? I don't know. <laughs> so the fair has also had a wedding of conjoined twins... It's had a 22-inch tall Russian, quote, prince who was in search of a Texas bride. And actually, someone tried to kidnap him (laughs) by stuffing him into an overcoat and trying to run off with him. (laughs) Amazing story. There's been some disasters, including exploding paddle boats, contaminated meat, and in 1929, the explosion of the Goodyear blimp. It was, it's also had Bonnie and Clyde's bullet-ridden car. It's had the 75-carat Hope Diamond and... Most amazingly of all, I think, Bob Roberts, who was a carnival performer who took sword swallowing to a new level, he stuck an entire Ford car axle down his throat and lived. Hmm. Yeah, and so lived pretty much if you want to, that's the yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to see it, the fair has had it or is gonna have it. Of course, we can't talk about the Texas State Fair without talking about its absolutely most famous first. Despite what other state fairs have claimed. Minnesota and Iowa, we're looking at you. The State Fair of Texas was the first state fair to sell the granddaddy of all fried foods on a stick, the corny dog. The corn dog was originally invented by German Texans in the late 1800s who found it difficult to sell their sausages to non-Germans until they dipped it in cornbread batter and fried it. Merca. That's Texas. Texas! State Fair food vendors Carl and Neil Fletcher first began selling corn dogs in 1938. Since then, this classic, which can only be purchased at Fair Park through the run of the fair, has remained the most popular food item sold at the fair. While the Texas Fair has become notable for its patrons' willingness to eat just about anything if it's been fried, Fletcher's corny dogs are still the classic food of the fair. I'm a South Texas boy, so like <laughs> Dallas might as well have been on the moon from where we lived. Um, yes. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's a long drive. So we never even, going to the state fair was never a thing for the, uh, for the longest time. And in fact, I, I only went just a couple of years ago for the first time. Um, yep. You know, it was, it was high-minded culture that uh, we certainly couldn't afford. Uh, but... <laughs> But, uh, no, I mean, it just was a thing we didn't do, but I remember reading about it, hearing about it, but experiencing it, it's, it is interesting to see the, um, just the architecture of the thing. And, and it's very almost anachronistic to go and see the, the, the art deco buildings, uh, matched up with like, you know, modern agribusiness exhibits matched up with a complete disregard for cardiac health. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like... beautiful gardens. To what? Matched up with beautiful gardens. Yeah, beautiful gardens. I mean, I'm with you, Mike. I grew up down on the Gulf Coast, and, 
you know, Dallas was a different, I, I honestly, I never went to Dallas until I was in high school and I went there on a band trip. So, um, Dallas was not a destination for my family. We, we tended to go out West to the Hill country. So I didn't attend the state fair until maybe 10 years ago, 11 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, when, uh, we already had our first child, you know, so I lived here for 10 years, you know, going to college, never went to the fair and finally went. And, uh, I'm glad I did. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff there. You know, one of I'm glad that they've uh, restored a lot of those buildings because that yeah. was always one of the things that bummed me out when I went. I was like, wow, this place really used to be really grand and it's still pretty cool, but you could tell that the buildings used to have a lot more grandeur to them. So I'm glad that they did that restoration. Oh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fair hound because, uh, you know, we had relatives up here in the, the North Texas area and we lived in North Texas for a long time. So, uh, the, you know, we I went to the fair as a kid with my family. Then in high school, we we went to the fair a couple of times, uh, and then in college, I went once or twice. But since probably ninety eight, ninety nine, I think I've been every year except the the, the years where my children were born. Uh, my wife loves the fair. You know, we we've gone multiple times, and, and there's always something new to see. But there's always things which we just love to do. They used to have a bird show called the Birds of the World Show. Uh, and love going to that, even though it's predictable. It's the same show every year. They got rid of it last year, so I'm I'm protesting. I'm not going to the new show that they've got. But we we watch the dogs. <laughs> we watch, we, and with kids, it's a it's opened up a whole new dynamic of things to do because they've got all the kids stuff that we used to avoid when we didn't have children. Yeah. Um, but there's some wonderful kids things to do. The petting zoo. The kids love that. Yeah. Um, of course, the cars, you get to see all the yeah. cool cars. I was going to say, there's obviously the main attraction for me is going to be the food pavilion. Um, yes. I'm hoping this year that the jalapeno corn dogs will be back at Fletcher's. They're not there all the time. But uh, other than the food barn, which is uh, air-conditioned and pleasant, mm-hmm. but it's a little mm-hmm. too crowded sometimes as everybody crowds in there to eat their food, I love to take that long, leisurely stroll all the way down one exhibit hall through the car show, loop around to the mm-hmm. other one, and walk all the way down the other one, enjoying the sweet, sweet air conditioning. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, not only that, you know, it's interesting because we had county fairs growing up. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And I've, so it, there's a whole, there's actually, a, you know, there's there's petting zoo. So it is Texas, folks. So if you do come to Texas to check out the fair from a place, and you're not from quote-unquote, the country, you're going to get to see a lot of livestock. You're going to see, uh, you know, there's a lot of agribusiness stuff that uh, happens there. They have, you know, uh, cooking, and they have the animal shows, and they have all the, the show barns and petting zoos. So there's a there's a, there's still very much a, a, a bit of agribusiness that happens there and is exhibited. So there's a famous book called Devil in the White City. A lot of people have read it. They're actually working on making a film out of it. And it talks about the World's Fair that happened in Chicago. And it it talks about all this extreme stuff. But I think there's a lot of stories around the Texas State Fair that could be there uh, and highlighted. Some Certainly some of the crazy gimmicks that they'd had. But uh, the thing that I was really shocked by that I had no idea about in the fair was just the ugly side of the segregation and the racist backstory of the fair. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably, um, as a modern Texan, the most embarrassing and kind of ugly side to it. Yeah. Uh, 
especially when you go, it's like, oh, this was this this lasted until when? Until 1967. You know, you know, this wasn't out in the country somewhere. This was actually, you know, in the city, right? Yeah, and you know, I like I said, I didn't go to the fair until I was an adult, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that I don't necessarily love to go every year. Um, but that's just the same reason I don't like to necessarily go to Six Flags every year. Because when you've got something that's that much fun and it's got all that stuff, you you don't always feel like you need to see it every year. Yeah. And, it may, and it's always fresh when you come back to it. So um, I'm looking forward. We're supposed to go this year. I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, how about this? If you're going to the fair this year, why not drop us a line? Tell us your stories. Tell us the things you saw and you loved, and we'll uh, talk about it on the show. We'll do a fair follow-up if some of you guys want us to. Let us know. Yep. And uh, make sure you go by the Chevrolet main stage, where the bigger performers will be playing. Uh, this year's performances include the Beach Boys, Tejano legend Emilio, Christian music superstars Mercy Me, and Texas' greatest ZZ Top cover band, Trio Grande. Um, of course, this doesn't come close to everything there is to do at the State Fair, including the, the cat show. And every year you go, there's always something new to see or do. Um, there's also a really amazing marionette show that uh, um, saw for the first time a couple years ago. So look for that. Well, there you go. It's somewhere somewhere near the butter sculptures, I think. Well, there you go. So even if you aren't from Texas, the Texas State Fair wants you anyway. That's right. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love Texas, we know you love corn dogs, and we know you love deep-fried Twinkies. So, if you're not too busy at the fair, be sure to tell everyone you meet between your house, the airport, the taxi ride, and the Texas State Fair about Come and Take It. Get on iTunes and leave a review because it helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you want to participate and help the show out financially, go to patreon.com. Sign up to be one of our supporters. And every month, you can give a little bit in the tip jar to keep us on the air. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.